0: Through this mylar material, I could actually work on the back side and put the the background in, and uh, work on the front side and put all the details in. So I, I tend to work on both sides of it in acrylic paint, and, um, but I don't limit myself to that. I also work in graphite and uh, charcoal as well as printmaking techniques. I can print on this stuff because it's flat like paper. And um, I, I tend to work really large with these pieces because I'm putting so much information into them uh, that there's no way that they work on a smaller scale.
1: Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 140th episode, Jeremiah Johnson joins me to talk about his work in an upcoming show of his, The Story of Job, which opens at archulacey Homburg Fine Arts in New York on May 14th, so stay tuned for that. I do want to take a minute to talk to you about our 2015 competition, which is now open to all undergraduate, graduate, and professional artists, so get your applications in. Once again, our juror this year is Julia Friedman, the director of Exchange Works, which is a interesting organization that brings artists and opportunities together, so check it out. Once again, all the information is on Studio Break, but just to give you highlights, we are going to be featuring three artists from each of those categories, a total of nine, and we'll be Working with the Peoria Art Guild, Jan Brandt Gallery, and Demo Project to pick three artists for solo exhibitions. So we're very excited to be offering this opportunity once again. So please let artists know about it. If you're with us for the first time, Studio Break is a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists. They come on, they talk with me about their studio practice. We share images of their work, links to their websites for more information about them, and these lengthy interviews which you can listen to on Studio Break or just subscribe in the iTunes store, so please do that. You can follow us in a number of different formats, our Facebook page, like it, check it out. Always new information there. You can follow our Tumblr account, at studio-break.tumblr, and always tweet us at StudioBreak. So again, please reach out and say hello. Aside from that, here is our interview with Jeremiah Johnson. Stay tuned. welcome to studio break i'm really excited this morning to be joined by jeremiah johnson how are you doing hey pretty good excellent and again i saw your work uh, in the country living show again an exhibition that we were both a part of and thought it was really interesting and thought it'd be great to have you on so i'm glad that it's finally happening and those were the the sculptural house pieces if i'm not mistaken is that right that that you were shown in that
0: yep that was a whole series uh the last one I made was actually for the exhibition itself. It, uh, it was a series of uh, houses constructed out of my own credit card applications, uh, that I've been collecting up since, uh, 1997. Um, it started with the first, I, I've had the collection for quite a while and just thought I was going to paint on them or something like that. Uh, but then, uh, when the housing market collapsed, it, it just uh, it dawned on me that hey, I could uh, construct houses out of them. I never realized that a lot of people, when they they, they didn't, if they go out to buy houses, they're always uh, buying them on loan, and uh, and that that, that that happens quite a good deal. That uh, they if if the market collapses or if they run out of money, they get foreclosed on, and uh, so um, I sort of use the uh, credit card applications as a representation of that. More or less as an idea to get back at the banks for sending them to me all the time. Sure. (laughs) I used to get uh, at least, uh, um, you know, like, gosh, every month, especially when I was, by the time I was in grad school, I was getting them uh, about twice a week.
1: (laughs) Sure. Well, and just now, I mean, you get stuff, you get junk mail constantly because there's always something to be, something to be sold, right?
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: But I was going to say, so you're originally from uh, uh, Pennsylvania, is that correct?
0: Uh, Yes, I was. I was born and uh, raised right here in Lycoming County in Pennsylvania um, in Williamsport area. Uh, It's the home of the Little League World Series uh, uh, for baseball. (laughs) Uh,
1: And you grew up on a farm?
0: Uh, was raised above a flower shop and uh, my father he had a he had a small farm on top of the mountain that we used to go up to on the weekends or every uh, three days or so up there he raised uh, uh, chickens and then had um, large fields to um, uh, grow um, various things that he would sell at the flower shop Uh, but when I was in fifth grade he bought this hundred acre fruit farm and uh, sold the farm on the top of the mountain and then I uh, and then I Grew up on a hundred-acre tree fruit farm. Pretty much after that, the interesting thing about the early years um, of my childhood, um, growing up in the flower shop, I was free to like play with anything that they had there, like styrofoam, spray paint, knives, florist clay, tape, scissors, corsage pins, flower stems—you uh, name it. Uh, my dad didn't really you know, he, he, he never said don't play with knives or anything like that. Uh, cause they were just all around and couldn't keep me away from them. <laughs> uh, yeah. And also on the weekend trips, to the the cabin, he raised chickens. So he'd collect the eggs, uh, once or twice a week. Uh, so I, I would deal with that too. I got to run in the woods and, uh, would in the early spring, we had to pick rocks from the field. Uh, it was one of the first jobs, which, uh, The only only people that can relate to that anymore, that remember, that understand about picking rocks in the field is uh, the Amish in the area.
1: (laughs) Man, and Uh, is that just to kind of like remove them so that when you can like, I guess, till the soil or whatnot, it's, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, the the soil is pretty rocky on the top of the mountain. And so every single spring before you can even run the rototillers through the fields to plow, uh, you have to go through and just pick out every rock that shows up, uh, mostly the biggest ones. And then. Either throw throw them in a a fence row or or in a large pile at the corner of the field.
1: And so, kind of like the outdoors, was that something that was kind of then kind of, you know, very important in terms of just, I don't know, just your daily kind of experience, I guess?
0: Yeah, it was something I took for granted, though. Um, It was just hard work. A lot of time, like, I grew up working with my dad alongside him since I was like, Three, two years old, as long as I could remember, it, it was very different from a lot of my friends. So uh, I, I sort of was like, "Yeah, yeah, I have to do this." Whereas other, f- I started getting jealous of other friends that could actually go home from school and <laughs> just
1: sit around and watch <laughs> television. Sure. Were there other things that you were interested in doing? Whatever, climbing trees, or I don't know, any other any other random things that would be exciting, or.
0: Yeah, well, back in the early days, I, I used to play Indian a lot. Um, would make forts out in the woods um, and climb any tree that was around. Uh, you know, build rope swings. Uh, one time, me and my brother uh, attached a, a rope from one side of the barn to the other with a with an old fashioned pulley, and would just like. Cl- and, like ride across the barn, <laughs> not sure. worried about you know following uh, 20 <laughs> feet, <laughs> <be> a twenty feet or being a twenty feet in the air. But um, never had any never had any accidents. Uh, I guess I was pretty lucky in that way. But
1: <laughs> sure, sure. And, and I mean, like in terms, you you kind of talked about kind of being able to play around with all these different materials when you were you know in the shop. But um, yeah. was was drawing something that was you know interesting to you at the time? Were you doing a lot of drawing and?
0: Well, yeah. Back in the beginning, uh, I used to watch my brother draw because he was older, and um, uh, he what he would draw with these like these uh, uh, battle scenes with like uh, little miniature stick figure people and battleships and uh, like the armies going out. But then he would actually have like physical attacks on paper, where he would draw like uh, crossfire lines and stuff, and then draw explosions over top of them. Uh, so that that was kind of how I started drawing. I used to draw those scenes as well and um and you know so it was sort of like this active drawing as a as a game or something a form of play um and then uh it wasn't till about first or second grade when i um i i looked up at a it was around uh, saint patrick's day i was sitting in class and i uh, saw uh, one of the decorations it was a, of a leprechaun and i just sat down and decided to draw it and um everybody or a lot of the kids started taking notice and they were like, wow, that's really good. So I, I kept drawing more leprechauns basically. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I, I, and I realized that uh, it was like a thing that I could simply draw one head and then change a few lines or change the hair color and put beards or take beards off of them that I had a a system going there with that. So pretty soon I got sort of uh, bored with the idea of, of, Drawing leprechauns and moved on to other things.
1: <laughs> and uh, was that something that kind of developed then? In terms of just I don't know, like this is a possibility. When did when did that ever uh, crop into your head that you were like, oh, you know, this I could do art for a living?
0: I didn't think much about it at the time because like when it was in first grade, I didn't think about like uh, um, I I just thought it was something you did as a hobby until I. My father's friends, a couple of them were artists. One was just a retired painter. Uh, that she actually sold the flower shop to my dad, and uh, after she sold the after she sold the flower shop, she went on to get a degree in art at uh, Moore College of Art down in um, Philadelphia her name was Ruth Russell and uh but she didn't really she didn't really do much with it she just was like a home painter after that uh but then there was this other guy uh Robert Marks who uh um was a retired antique dealer and he painted pretty seriously he would he was able to convince people to buy paintings from him all the time and so he sold just as much as he created Uh, I assume that was some of my early influence on it. But back in the beginning, really, I wanted to simply be an archaeologist, I guess. (laughs) Like Indiana Indiana Jones, but then I realized that archaeology wasn't like Indiana Jones.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty disappointing, I guess, (laughs) right? Because you thought that that barn kind of like rope. Thing was gonna be something that comes in handy someday, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I did like adventure because I did run around in the woods a lot and explored by by ourselves even me and my brother or sometimes just me. We were allowed to pretty much do whatever we wanted out there.
1: <laughs> and so did did you wind up taking other art classes and in, in like high school and and kind of get exploring that way or?
0: By the time I reached high school, I was uh, thinking that I should be like go into engineering drafting or possibly even landscape architecture mm-hmm. uh, just because it had drawing involved because I like to draw by this point. But I didn't I, – I, I assumed the only careers you could do was drafting. Uh, I didn't really think about too much else um, other than uh, – uh, other than just a simple encouragement to be an artist on the side, I, early, I think it was in fifth grade I got my first sketchbook, and so I really kept drawing after that. Um, I would just look in uh, artist books, and I didn't really know who these artists were because I just really liked looking at the pictures. But I'd be like, if it was a book on art, I would look through it and just want to draw the pictures that I saw in the books a lot of times. And then I would also draw things, uh, dreams that I had, and just just about everything. But still, in high school, I was thinking on the on the drafting side of it because it wasn't. I didn't think it was very possible to be an artist until eleventh grade.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then eleventh grade happened.
0: Our teacher really encouraged us to apply to the the uh, a, a school an after school program that was happening at the time, the Pennsylvania Governor's School for the Arts, uh, which was a summer program uh, for kids in Pennsylvania, which unfortunately is now defunct because of a uh, money and, and Pennsylvania government (laughs) issues. But, um, uh, so he encouraged us to apply to it every year and, uh, when you could, and, uh, when I was in 11th grade, I applied to it. I only had one chance to get in. So in about two months time between October and the end of December, I had to make a portfolio of work, um, 15 or so pieces. So I, I just sat down every night and and just worked steadily on art, just kind of making anything out of any materials, uh, um, just a whole variety because my teacher said that a variety might be the thing that gets me into in the, the school. Um, so I would make like a cut paper piece, um, do pointillism and marker, uh then and, uh, and just all sorts of ideas of subject matter too from uh simple uh still life images of flower arrangements to uh uh dreamscapes and surrealist images and sort of things like that and uh it was with this portfolio that I got into uh the Pennsylvania Governor's School for the Arts one month in the summertime uh I I went to the school that was way out in Erie Pennsylvania which was a good 4 hours uh uh, northwest uh, west of here and uh was bombarded by these talented kids from around the around Pennsylvania uh that were there for um not only visual arts but for music dance theater um and uh creative writing and set design even and I was it was just an amazing experience from then that day on I was like I just got to be an artist
1: Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, I think just kind of being in an environment then when you're, especially when you don't realize like how many uh, creative people are out there or like, especially like just how many different things that they can do, you know, Um, it's, it seems like those are the kind of opportunities where you definitely realize it, you know, it's like a, it's like a small, well, again, it's all school, but I mean, that's all that kind of continually happens. You bring together these groups of interesting people and they interact, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah and they were just yeah i was just i was just swarmed with uh, overwhelmed with all the talented students that were there uh there were there were kids there that could play like uh five or six instruments um uh, at a time and uh uh this one kid who went there for photography could actually play uh ukulele and the the accordion and um I had just never seen people do dance before either um uh, because our school was kind of small, and the only uh The only area of encouragement that we got to go to Governor's School was through uh, fine arts. I just assumed I would run into other just uh, simply fine art artists. Uh, students like myself
1: was there was there any kind of like new i don't know techniques or anything that you were kind of like oh i didn't think about printmaking before
0: i i did embrace everything that, that the high school had to offer and uh it was a good thing that we had good teachers there I heard through other kids that went to the governor's school that they just had terrible art programs you know where they would just uh give them a pile of national geographics and say uh draw pictures from them all year <laughs> <laughs> Our, our teachers, both the teachers that I had back in high school, uh, uh, f- at first I had this guy in middle school, Mr. Amy, and uh, then um, Charles Zatowski in high school. They were really, really good about uh, giving us a variety of projects. We did every everything there from uh, uh, wheel throwing, ceramics, to um, even uh, jewelry making. He even uh, had this homemade or home-built centrifuge to actually uh, fuse uh Metal into the molds, (laughs) which had to been so illegal if if the. (laughs) the, the head of the school saw that thing; uh, they would immediately disband the program. But it—it uh, it was this—it uh, it was like this uh, dangerous apparatus that he set up, that he just seat uh, clamped to a table, uh, <laughs> and then he would spin it around. You would wind it up to twist it, and lock it in place. Uh, put the torches on the metal, and as soon as he counted the three or said "step back," he stepped back with the torches. He pulled the lever out, and the thing spun. And he, he said, "If that—if uh, your mold." wasn't thick enough the metal would shoot through the back of the mold and pretty much shoot out like a gun <laughs> into the room randomly
1: <laughs> yeah that sounds pretty scary <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah but it was uh it was really cool at the same time that he la- he allowed us to do that um it just really uh you know so we had uh so after uh out walking out of high school I felt like I had no limits on what I could do in art yeah from the experience that I had
1: and so you're doing a lot of art in high school and in these summer classes how did you wind up going to college and, and tell us that story?
0: Uh, well uh, at, at the governor's school too they had uh, they had colleges uh, they had a college day where the um, they had all the uh, they had a lot of different art schools come in and uh, various other schools uh, would come in and promote their programs and of course uh, the ones that dazzled all the students the best were the ones with the uh, best um, the best catalogs, like the most creative catalogs, I'd say, um, because uh, uh, the Maryland Institute was on top with that. Uh, they had the most, uh, like, dazzling catalog you could ever see. There are actually games and stuff in it to play. <laughs> and uh, it, it was just the most creative thing. It was out of this world, like, from what we knew. And then uh, uh, Tyler School of Art had the, probably the second best catalog <laughs> there, <laughs> and it was just all based on, like, uh, how cool things looked in the catalog. Uh, like, they had a day-to-day of how the students uh, lived life there at, at college, and, um, you know, so it was just enough to fuel your imagination completely to be like, man, I'm going to live in you know, like live off campus and eat spaghetti every day and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just be like these people, you know? So it was, it was, it was really exciting. The only reason I didn't go to my first choice, uh, was because of the, the price, uh, basically. Um, uh, Tyler was a, was, uh, was part of Temple University. So it was a state school. And at the time, uh, they were incredibly cheap to go to. Um, uh, it was like 9,000 a year, uh, for tuition back in 93 and uh maryland was like about twenty thousand a year <laughs>
1: good gosh yeah so,
0: so it was hands down there was a that was a that was how it was decided
1: <laughs> and so was it that spaghetti eating uh uh dream that you had envisioned when you got there
0: uh, yeah i would say so yeah it was um it was uh it was very interesting um it, it was just it was just a gift to be there coming from a, a farm uh, working seven days a week from sun up to sundown. my dad even um, uh, he was more concerned about me getting work done while the daylight was happening before I could even do homework <laughs> <laughs> um, for school. So um, it was an escape uh, and, a, and a and a blessed one too. I mean, I would, I felt totally blessed to be there, you know, just to to make art all the time as as assignments it was like it was like incredible to me. Um, the first week, I remember, I had two teapots to make in a 3d design class. Um, I had a, probably a, a six foot drawing to do for my drawing class and, uh, um, some gouache project for 2d design. But I was like, I was just like, this is, this is great. And, uh, right away I, I jumped right into it and started getting noticing from the, the other students. Cause it would be like, I I remember seeing a student on the porch and he'd be like, where are you off to at like 10 in the morning on Saturday? And I'd be like, I'm going over to the studio. I got two teapots to make this weekend. He was like, wow. And then, so they would always see me going to the studio, spending all my time in the studio because it was like, it it was just fun. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I just doing.
1: So were all these classes then, I mean, these were ones where you kind of pushing yourself to, to try new things and to see what, how how they could kind of fit into, um, your other skills, do you think?
0: Uh, I just really experience everything and decide where I wanted to take it from there. Uh, the first year was all about just the foundations of what you wanted to do. And I I, re- I, I quite quickly latched on to drawing. At the same time, though, my father would still call me up on, um, he got me a car. He sort of had this idea that he he didn't want to have to spend the time to come down and pick me up to and drive me back and forth to college because he usually he was too busy working all the time so uh literally we picked up a car the, the day that I was expected to go to uh um school and i loaded it up myself and pretty much uh, headed off to college by myself uh my dad didn't even actually see the school until 2 years in <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it was a really a, an independent experience, but he would call me up but, but because he had that because he got me that car, he could simply call me up when he was really busy with work and and try to get me to come home that weekend. <laughs> uh, sure sure to help them out on the farm and so uh uh you know there was still a there was still a price to pay for it <laughs> in a sense that I, I i was only free to a point uh particularly around i got worried around the holidays especially like uh even just valentine's day uh because he would get busy with the flower shop then or <laughs> yeah
1: yeah were you kind of really invested in taking sculpture and painting and you know drawing and design and like just kind of getting all these things um
0: um, sculpture kind of came a little bit later. I, I did enjoy making it, but I wasn't really good at it back then. And so, I, I, I what I was really attracted to was drawing, which mm-hmm. was my first love. And so, I um, and I had a really good teacher for my freshman year, and I was lucky to have him for uh, both semesters, the, the fall and the spring. Uh, Ron Abrams, who was just an adjunct at the time. Uh, the drawing class was, uh, was my favorite, I think, of all the, of, of the three areas. And I quickly – I I didn't like 2D design as much because uh, it was very traditional. We had to work with gouache and ruling pens, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're really strict about the, uh, the quality. Uh, you had to make it f- perfectly flat. It was very, very technical. Um, And so I was kind of mediocre at that, uh, whereas drawing was was simply the the thing that uh, you had some play involved with it a little bit. Um, Not too much. I mean, he really encouraged us to draw realistically and draw to the best of our abilities. That was really what I leaned towards the most, um, which then led me into printmaking through the same teacher because he actually uh, specialized in um, uh, in, in intaglio printmaking. Um, and he quite easily talked me into uh, printmaking as a major because you couldn't major in drawing at Tyler. You could major in painting and do drawing. But um, I thought that paint ma- or printmaking was even better connected to drawing. And at the same time, I could also make make drawings, but then they'd be reproduced so I could always sell them and then always have one for myself. Yeah, so I, I leaned towards printmaking after that, and then and then got very traditional. Like my earliest influences were uh, um, Northern Renaissance uh, painters and uh, stuff like that, and it gradually I sort of started opening up as the years went on.
1: And so, what what did your work look like at the time? You know, as as you're kind of wrapping up your your undergraduate degree, what did it look like?
0: I started discovering. I creeped up, so I went from Northern Renaissance into uh, uh, German Expressionist artists. Um, and then I got into uh, Mexican symbolists like Frida Kahlo. I, I was sort of uh, fascinated in the idea of using objects and things as symbols to represent feelings and emotions. And then I gradually got interested in neo-expressionism. Um, started. I read a, a biography of uh, Keith Haring and uh, Basquiat. The film came out at the time. And at the f- at the f- at first, when I saw his work, I just thought this is just like, you know, ter- like little children's drawings. But after seeing the film and, and really understanding his sense of, uh, his interesting sense of, uh, his, his sense of freedom and, and his just random choice in colors and random choice in, uh, composition that seemed to happen with the work. It really excited me. Um, so there was sort of this old traditional part of me that held back a little bit and, uh, but I, I gradually freed up to that. So the work by that point was sort of a, uh, somewhat inspired by that, but with a bit more of a traditional representational approach to it, if I were to describe it in any way, it's possibly like, um, a little bit like, uh, Frida Kahlo perhaps, or, uh, with, with some of those other influences, the colors were certainly getting really vibrant by that point. I was really starting to get excited about, uh, uh, fluorescent colors and, uh, what happened was there was a transition that happened as soon as I – well, the transition, I guess, happened when I went to Ireland in, in my junior year of college uh, for a month and I started understanding color. Before that, I was just dealing with black and white. Once I began understanding color um, and how I did that was simply through seeing the landscape there. I thought all the colors of the land itself in Ireland were completely different from where I grew up and uh in even philadelphia of course um and then i started understanding color as an associated with place so that was the first time i was inspired by color And it sort of gradually exploded from there. As soon as I graduated from Tyler, I got a job at a frame shop because I was, since I went to school and majored in printmaking, um, I, of course, knew I needed to frame my work. Uh, So I got myself a job at a frame shop, and then I started uh, incorporating the frames as a part of the piece. So I would paint on the, uh, the frames and then actually carve the frames out. And this is where sculpture just started creeping into my work a little bit.
1: So just a little bit of like like the more that you start using your hands and kind of building out these forms a little bit. Yep. And so did you wind up taking time off to, to go to school for your master's degree or, or what was the story afterwards?
0: Yeah, I, I didn't really, in, I, I didn't want to go to grad school. Uh, the experience at Tyler was uh, uh, with the grad students was really cutthroat. I got to know a lot of them by the time I was a senior uh, because they had respect for me too just because i like to work all the time they were like man you're always in the studio and uh you know so they would actually talk to me but they did, they didn't talk to a lot of undergrads and uh just because they didn't they didn't really take any of us really that seriously uh, they uh, i did get along quite well with some of them and uh but they but they would share what they would share m- with me all their complaints that they had about other grad students or uh, or the college in general um but they're really in competition with each other and two years in was just like it was like gosh they're there and then they're they're gone and uh, I, I didn't really understand the point of grad school at all. I just assumed it was uh, it, it was a way for you to uh, just basically you go to grad school and get a job teaching, and that was it. And I at the time I wasn't really interested in teaching. Um, I I had a few grad student teachers, and, and you know that just really weren't really good at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, So I had no interest in going to grad school. Um, Instead, I was just simply going to uh, start applying for shows. The first year I was out of college, I I got accepted into a juried show and won a $500 award down in Washington, D.C. for it. And uh, So I got kind of lucky on that end, and then I immediately started trying to – uh, show work wherever I could in Philadelphia. Um, I went to a coffee house to actually apply for a job and (laughs) they were, they, they just opened up and, uh, so they didn't know how the art scene worked down there yet but they were like well it sees you, I see you see have art all over your applic- all over your uh, resume here um mm-hmm. uh, we we're not going to hire you to work here but if you'd be interested in showing your work here that would be fine so immediately i got a i got a show and uh it ended it it started a whole s- uh, string of shows at coffee houses even though i was working I was still able to make art on the side and uh, each show I had to display different pieces. So uh, anywhere from like 10 to 15 pieces, um, I really cranked out a lot of work the year after I graduated. Um, so there there wasn't that much need to go to grad school yeah. at the time.
1: <laughs> I don't know why, but I just get the idea of just working, you know, just working and working and, and seeing how all these um, different ideas can translate um, or evolve, you know, as you're kind of exploring them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um I uh it all does sort of come out of my upbringing. Um I think about something my great my grandmother said, she used to work for my dad too uh after she retired completely from other jobs. Uh, so I grew up with my grandmother working alongside of me and some of the some of the other family members as well since my dad was the one in the family that owned a business. Um if they didn't have jobs, they would uh work for my dad for a period of time. For as long as they could stand working for them, uh, My grandmother, though, was the longest. And she said that uh, she said one day that she's uh, she simply just would rather rather die if she couldn't uh, if she could no longer work. Uh, it, it was sort of a it was sort of something that was brought up in our or, you know, it was it, it was ingrained in us through uh, the generations of our family. Uh, uh, this, this work ethic, which I think comes out of uh, uh, just anyone that was a farmer that they can sort of relate to this or was raised on a farm.
1: (laughs) Was there any kind of process in terms of like how you would come up with uh, what you wanted to uh, make at the time in terms of like how it would relate to different subjects or, you know, was it based off of your life or things that you saw in the news or anything like that?
0: Well, uh, my current work now, it's sort of um, – it's, it's, um, I, I, I tend to make work that's influenced a little bit by uh, uh, the process that I used to make it. The housing market collapse and making the credit card houses, the credit card applications themselves, are the materials that needed to be used for the project. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of my work is dictated by its materials. I assume I learned that through uh, printmaking. Um, because printmaking is very much about process. Um, but there's a variety of printmaking methods, and each method gives you a, com- a very different end result, um, Like, for, especially if you're, if you're doing relief prints. Um, uh, whether you're doing them on wood or linoleum, even the end results are going to look different, the surface of the image and so forth. And when being a printmaking major, you tend to decide what's the best uh, medium For conveying this image that you want to make, you start out with a drawing and then uh, you get to the point where you decide if I want the drawing to look more old fashioned or uh, or lose some control from it, I'll make a woodcut. Um, you know, and use a really nasty, old, knotty piece of wood. Or if I want to have more control in the image and have it very sharp and clear and concise, like a photograph, um, I may uh, turn to screen printing for it and uh, use some of the photo process involved with it. So it's sort of the way you think about uh, every time you approach uh, the next piece that you want to work on, you think more about uh, uh, what's going to convey best the image. Uh, how, how can the materials work with the image, I think.
1: Yeah. Was, was the, the decision to kind of get your MFA, I mean, was that purely just to kind of be able to really explore printmaking then?
0: As soon as I graduated from undergrad, one of my teachers left Tyler to go teach at Millersville University, and she told me about this uh, residency program they had there so I could come there and, and keep printing. And, uh, so it kept me printing the year after undergrad. So I was printing part-time. I was also making, uh, paintings on paper at home in my, in my, uh, in my, just in my bedroom, was able to keep that going. But after that was over, I was like, well, uh, sort of what's next from here. I mean, I'm, I was shut off from printmaking again. So I just keep making paintings on paper in the bedroom. But by this time, my roommates were driving me crazy <laughs> and, uh, The frame shop, working at a frame shop, there wasn't where I could go from there. Uh, So I decided to go to grad school. I I figured, well, I'll be able to uh, have more time to make what I want, more space, and uh, come out of that with uh, the ability to possibly push push further with my career as an artist. So I went to uh, Syracuse University um, just because a, a teacher suggested it john Dow from the print, printmaking department at tyler he said why don't you go to syracuse and i had no idea never even thought about it and um he said well i i taught the dean of the art department there <laughs> which i was like wow i was like because he looked so young and i actually met the dean later <laughs> and mm-hmm. the dean actually looked uh older than he was but he was actually a student of him his <laughs> and uh uh so i was surprised by all that but um it ended up being a really nice department. They they certainly did have a lot of space there. Uh, yeah, so I furthered my printmaking experience. But when I was in grad school, I really I wanted to branch out. There wasn't enough for me with just the two printmaking professors that they had there. Uh, so I looked to uh, I just gradually continued from where I left off in undergrad. Um, I went more towards painting, even though I was a print there for printmaking. I also, in printmaking department, I learned how to make uh, paper because they also had paper making and book making as a part of their program. So right there I was getting, you know, branched out just in printmaking alone. But on top of that, I I would uh, take painting classes and I also had to go back to learn about computers. Um, unfortunately, the transition of technology was just happening. Uh, Tyler just had roughly – they had one computer lab that was run by the graph design department. So if you didn't take a graph design cl- class, you weren't even going to get a computer in your hands. Um, and so I was – I didn't even know how to uh, use email or anything like that by the time 1998 came around. And so I realized I also had to go to grad school for that too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing how uh, how things shift like that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, while I was there, I was thrown into a class um, uh, because part of the program was I I got um, three quarters of a ride, of a full ride to go to grad school. And uh, in order to fulfill my duties, I had to uh, teach um, immediately. So um, I got thrown into a screen printing class of my own of uh, anywhere from – I think it might have been 24 students.
1: Jeez. Yep,
0: and they just said, just uh, teach the way you want to teach it. <laughs> and um, I, I, I jumped right into it, and I, I kind of, uh, from the first day out, I, I felt at home doing it. Um, I felt sort of like Julia Childs on a cooking show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, because it was all about showing them the process, uh, first and foremost. So I, I would give them a, a history lessons in printmaking uh, because I was very much interested in art history myself. And, um, and then on top of that, a lot of, a lot of your time in teaching printmaking was, uh, demonstrating the process, which, uh, you know, didn't fluctuate on how you did things. (laughs) You had to do them the right way or you wouldn't get anything at all show up on your plate. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And so I'd imagine this is something that kind of changed your mind in terms of something that you could, you could do.
0: Yeah. And then I, I realized I, I kind of, I really enjoyed teaching and the students really, really liked me there at in grad school so um i i figured well now i can fall back on teaching i guess <laughs> yeah yeah and uh plus i i certainly was going to walk out of there with a lot of loans because even though i got that ride i still had to pay for my living <laughs> living yeah and uh yeah so you kind of end up like that anyway i guess <laughs>
1: So you, you'd kind of talked about this, you know, time off where you're, you're starting to, uh, you know, make works and kind of like building them off the frame, you know, in terms of the 3D stuff kind of coming out. Did, did more of that mixed media exploration start then? Or is that something that still kind of just came after you got out of school?
0: yep uh well in grad school I also took some sculpture classes i um, uh, but by this time i was um I was doing these works on paper either they were either printed or um, a combination of drawing and painting um, on paper and I was framing them in frames that matched the work so the frames were either usually a lot of times they were found frames or um, or uh, uh, ready made frames that I'd buy at the store um, and then I would carve into the frame itself and paint on them. Well, I decided to start taking that a step further and actually building the frames from scratch, and they really started getting extremely elaborate. When I was thinking about the next piece to make, half the time I'd actually think about uh, the framing of it too. Like I was like, I'm gonna make a, a picture about the wine of Babylon. Uh, you know, these sort of themes that sort of tied into art history. I was like, yes, yeah, so I'll put grapes in the picture, and then I'll buy plastic grapes to hang from the frames and like like make the frame out of plastic grapes and things like that. Um, So they became, they they even became more sculptural. Um, At the time, I was really influenced by uh, Kenny Scharf uh, and seeing his frames on his paintings and how they were like really just crazy and wild and outlandish. And so uh, uh, sculpture just started creeping in that way. Uh, I, w- I took a plastics class, and I made a, uh, one frame for a self-portrait piece uh, about uh, my trip to the ocean um, for spring break once. Um, the picture was a two-dimensional painting, uh, self-portrait. But then I had the idea to incorporate the frame with clear resin plastic uh, that I would lay, lay the frame out, build a mold around the frame itself, pour uh, clear liquid resin in there and add uh, all these plastic sea creatures that I got at a um, at a party store and uh, submerge those in the resin. So the frame is made out of uh, pretty much ocean water with sea creatures floating in it. <laughs> it. And that's how sort of wild the work was getting. I, I started to be influenced by... Uh, um, uh, Haitian voodoo art at the time. And, uh, a lot of their stuff was much more sculptural. Um, they were using a lot of found objects in the work, baby dolls, things that they could find in Haiti at the time. Um, tons of sequins because they, it was that country where they made a lot of dresses for America. Um, and so they had an influx of sequins and ribbon trim and, uh, uh, fabric and so forth. And so they would make these works uh, for religious purposes out of whatever materials they found around them. And I was very excited about that stuff, too. Um, so that's when my my work started going in both directions. I, I kept with two-dimensional work and also was making sculptural work at the time as well. And, and also thinking about installations, how I would display the uh, two, two-dimensional framed pictures with these wild frames on them. I would start branching out to the walls around them and put up wallpaper. Um, with wild patterns and, uh, you know, just making the entire space like the, uh, the pictures themselves, which was certainly the precursor to the large paintings that I do nowadays, the multiple
1: image paintings. It seems to me like kind of looking over your work now, it's like, you don't feel very inhibited in, um, exploring an idea, you know, you just kind of maybe go with it. But could you kind of break down, I guess, how that process works? I mean, are you kind of like constantly in your sketchbook writing down ideas, working out visual ideas, and that somehow turns into an installation or a a painting or...
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it starts with the sketchbook. I've got, I've got stacks and stacks of sketchbooks. I never stopped using a sketchbook since I was in fifth grade and got my first one. And so I, um, uh, so the idea sort of started from there. Um, I try to stick to a general theme. The thing that pulled me together was when I finally moved to, uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, uh, this area. And, and it was the only reason I ended up back here was because, um, uh, out of grad school, I started dealing with this uh, disease called ulcerative colitis, uh, similar to Crohn's disease. And so I, had to, I ended up moving back home to be close to uh, family doctors and so on and so forth. Uh, but when I moved back here, I, I, I spent just enough time away from all of this that I kind of had an understanding from where I grew up and sort of appreciated how I grew up. So the work. Overall, sort of had to be inspired or influenced by uh, this particular region and and which was sort of reflected a lot about myself, so the only underlying idea of all my work today is is tied in that it 's sort of this uh, uh sort of regional aesthetic or it 's influenced by growing up in central Pennsylvania. Uh, But it starts in the sketchbooks. I'll have any sort of ideas. I get my best ideas now in the morning. Uh, Usually when I wake up, um, I like to just lay around in bed for a while and thoughts just start to appear about... Anything I may be thinking about work that I'd be working on, or um, just have some crazy dream based on um, uh, what's happening today in politics, or um, or uh, uh, healthcare, or things like that. Things that sort of a uh, you know. Have me frustrated or angry about society, and uh, I'll jot these down in the sketchbook. And um, I'll think about—I um, work in, in a series usually, which also came out of printmaking. That um, I'll think about if the if this if this idea that I have in my head ties into uh, what I'm working on in painting or. Um, Perhaps uh, uh, sculpture or drawing, or and and think about which medium it works in best, um, uh, and sort of take it from there.
1: These kind of like larger two um, D works. Then are they kind of like kind of made through collage, or are they all kind of like worked up on the same surface? Could you kind of, I guess, just describe the, like the the process of uh, how one of these kind of like larger images come together? Because there's kind of a lot of different stuff going on in terms of maybe sometimes incorporating incorporating some printmaking along with um, you know painting and and ink and all sorts of other things.
0: Well, first, I sort of started out of grad school. Um, I really started embracing the idea of uh, working in any sort of materials or a variety of. Um, uh, uh, different two-dimensional materials anyway, and I started making these individual drawings that were 8.5 by 11, um, and and uh, some of them were just images that I was interested in, uh, images that I'd find in magazines and so forth, um, as well as various painting techniques, um, uh, various printmaking techniques all sort of coming together, and I'd put them up on the wall as a grid formation, and they, the images started fusing into each other. And I understood where they were sort of coming from uh, and how to appreciate that overall. It was They were sort of the backgrounds. They were inspired through uh, uh, particular Basquiat paintings where he would just like color Xerox copy his sketchbook pages and post them up. Um, but then he, wouldn't, he would draw things in front of them. I realized I didn't need these things in the foreground, that all the background stuff was the information. And I, I also made a connection the way we've been, uh, ciphering information in the, the internet world now that, uh, we're bombarded with images every single day. Tons of stuff can go through your head now in a day, day's time. And I sort of wanted, uh, to make, uh, large paintings that sort of reflect what was happening to today's society. Um, so they, they, they were something that early on carried with me up to the present day work and, uh, how they, how they begin was um, I discovered this material right after I graduated from graduate school, um, uh, this frosted mylar that I remember working in, in my freshman year of college with um, that was frosted on both sides. And it's, it's like plastic, but it's, um, it takes to ink, it takes to graphite, it takes to um, uh, uh, paint as well. And uh, by using this material, I could paint either on the front or the back of the material and one thing I hated doing was waiting around to get to the details. I remember in a, in my drawing classes, they would always say, Oh, the teachers would say like, you love to just sit there and draw the body hair and you do really good at that, but you need to start finishing the figure first (laughs) or like, um, you know, you got to wait to do the details. And I, 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 I tell all my students that too. Today, I've actually uh, I teach them the way that I was taught, but then I've been breaking my own rules, of course. Through this mylar material, I could actually work on the back side and put the the background in, and uh, work on the front side and put all the details in. So I, I tend to work on both sides of it in acrylic paint, and um, but I don't limit myself to that. I also work in graphite and uh, charcoal, as well as printmaking techniques. I can print on this stuff because it's flat like paper and. And um, I I tend to work really large with these pieces because I'm putting so much information into them uh, that there's no way that they work on a smaller scale.
1: And where does the where does the text fit in? Are those like actual things that like you're kind of coming up with in terms of adding? Are they taken from different sources?
0: Well, it's a combination of various things. Uh, it's sort of like the text right out of the sketchbook. And you know, like anytime you see an idea, you hear about a wonderful quote, then you can write the quote down and who quoted it, and so forth. Um, but also, if you have thoughts of your own about um, what you're thinking about, uh, reflecting on current events or uh, uh, things of that nature, um, a lot of the text actually comes from that. And how I do it's when I when I build the pieces, I actually uh, I tape the sheets of mylar together. I put grommets around the edges of them so they can be just nailed into the wall without putting repetitive holes into them. And uh, I'll put them up in the studio. And uh, a lot of that text, a lot of the imagery gets added while I'm working on the piece. So it's sort of a stream of consciousness a lot of times, too. Um, I like the text as pattern. So I see it as pattern. But of course, everybody that sees it they tend to read it when they look at the pieces um me i'm just really enjoy it as another uh like a brush stroke or something you know these lines that go in a horizontal direction sometimes in a vertical direction i I just think of it as another way of making a new brush stroke
1: yeah it's interesting to me too because there's so many images that can make up you know like one larger image too so i mean it seems like it really allows you then to kind of be able to explore i don't know like a particular idea like through each part of the grid Yep. Um, It's very interesting. I mean, is is there like a a level of editing in there too? I mean, are there things that don't get worked out or maybe you're kind of like going back into them and... I don't know. Constantly reworking the whole thing as you're doing it, or
0: not necessarily the whole thing, but certain areas of it. Usually, uh, it, it everything has to work next to each other, and that's the biggest challenge. Um, uh, it, in the beginning, there was really no editing. I would I wouldn't stop until the entire space was filled <laughs> with information, in a sense. But then I uh, there's certain things that don't work, and then they would just get painted over, or uh, they had to be taken out. It's it's kind of a push and pull. Once you put something into the paint painting uh then it either works well with that particular area where you put it or it just doesn't work at all like um sometimes it's uh sometimes it's as simple as just a color or an area of color but other times i'll because i work uh i can quite easily uh appropriate images um into the work through printmaking uh other times it's a it's an image <laughs> uh uh, some of the works have images in that I was like, why – I don't even – like I put Elvis into a picture and I, I don't even like Elvis. <laughs> I happen to have a screen stencil with Elvis in it and, and so I put ended up putting him in the painting and I ended up trying to get rid of him then. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's interesting. Um, and so are you – you're working – like kind of like multiple mediums at the same time then. Um, so you can kind of jump to if something's going to work in as out as a better sculptural idea, or maybe like installation, you can kind of kind of reassess and push that. Are are there any kind of, um, I don't know, projects that you're, you're working on right now that you're particularly excited about?
0: I have several going at once. Usually, um, like, uh, I just finished, uh, my last, what I consider those multiple image paintings that are on mylar, um, and I had to switch back to uh, uh, smaller paintings that are on uh, either wood panels or canvas. So they're sort of a uh, almost a different subject idea that have to be where I have to have um, the ideas that I have in my head have to be more controlled because they're limited in size. Um, and scope of the image. So, a lot of those images I'm working out now, uh, just recently, have to do with um, medicine and healthcare in different ways. Uh, the the paintings are sort of that are more psychedelic or more inspired by um, uh, meditation and ideas of of changing, uh, of potentially, uh, trying to influence maybe the world and make it a better place by. Uh, convincing more people that they need to uh, get more curious about meditation and about uh, realizing that there needs to be a balance in nature for us to survive then I just got word from my gallery that they wanted to uh, put up a show of uh, Job Johnson, which is going to take us into a completely different area. But I, I do um, – because I do so many – there's so many different facets to my, my work, um, I, I was forced to break out and create an alter ego. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this was all started because my my, my my family members always want me to make uh, landscape paintings for them or, you mm-hmm. know, uh, nice things that represent uh, central Pennsylvania. Um, so I, I created this alter ego named Job Johnson. And I decided to create a completely different time period that he was working uh, at, at the turn of the Industrial Revolution. It was partially inspired by seeing the drawing show of Vincent Van Gogh at the uh, the Met. Mm-hmm. the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So it started shortly after that, about a year after that. Um, so I liked that time period of work. And I was allowed to, uh, it allowed me to make drawings that were similar to like Van Gogh's in a sense. Uh, but the the subject matter was really just um, um, pictures of barns and things that my family really wanted me to make. And I, I started incorporating uh folklore uh regional folklore in particular and uh started saving it was a way of saving the stories and preserving the stories from uh history of our area um after my great aunt died as well she used to tell all these wonderful stories when i was a little kid and i wanted to save those stories in some way so i i used this alter ego to sort of uh uh deal with those stories and work on works that were about this sort of uh, stuff that's mostly uh, local to central Pennsylvania. Um, So through that, I decided to make my own paper for that project. Since I still work in a frame shop part-time, I'm able to save uh, mat boards, which are 100% acid-free. I tear them up and physically make paper in the most crudest way that i can out of my home uh i make all the paper in the summertime which is simply a screen um i pulp the paper myself with a blender and um and then lay it outside to dry in the sun and then i do drawings on these paper uh that represent all those ideas um and then since i i'm i know how to make frames and all that i i decided to make uh frames out of uh, uh, fallen tree branches a lot of times uh, that I get from the woods. So I go out in the woods, uh, collect the straightest tree branches I could find, cut L-shapes into the back of them, and then build the whole thing together. Uh, and I've been working on this project simultaneously while I work on my other stuff. But it allows me to go off in that different direction um, completely without worrying about my work uh, being considered too old fashioned because mm-hmm. at the same time I'm in and I'm inspired about what's happening today. And, i from quite, I like to keep one foot into, uh, you know, in, in the present, <laughs> uh, with it as well. Uh, that work would just be, I, I assume that work would just simply be dismissed from, uh, academia altogether. And, uh, and I, I purposely kind of, uh, I, I kind of keep it that way I, by by putting early dates of time on the pieces themselves. And uh, it, it it can't be talked about in today's time, which completely frees me up with that work from having to worry about uh, what it's influenced by. I could say, well, I didn't make that work at all. It wasn't me. <laughs>
1: and... <laughs> no, completely. No, I, I love seeing all the dates. And, and again, the frames are actually really interesting, too, just because they're so all irregular and... Again, I, I can't help but think about that relationship when you, you know, kind of had left, uh, you know, Philadelphia and, and moved home and then, you know, moved back and and whatnot. Like, I I like that idea of kind of, I guess, exploring your roots in some way, too, you know. I mean, in terms of the way that that region kind of influences your work, both in, in you know, what you normally do and then also, you know, all these kind of like rural kind of like drawings. And again, it's it's really interesting to think about how those narratives might also kind of... I don't know. Find their way into the work, or kind of you know change for the work too. Very interesting stuff. Is there, is there anything that we haven't hit on that you uh, that you thought would make a I don't know something we should talk about? Anything.
0: Well, maybe perhaps my uh, my my studio and how I how I make all this stuff. I guess um, I live in a rented house now. I have a family um, that we live in this house together, uh, really cheap in Williamsport. We've had uh, nice rent control for the last uh, seven years that we lived here, um, but that's been allowing me the time and the uh, to make artwork um, a lot. So I actually work uh, full time at making art, and I consider all the other jobs as sort of part time jobs, in order to me. Make- to make money, really, uh, I, I work out of the basement, um, uh, and I have a, a storage space uh, that I keep most of the work in. So when I'm working on stuff, I'll have uh, uh, all these projects, which pretty much take up the whole my entire basement studio, uh, depending on what I'm working on at the time. Uh, like right now, I have all these. Uh, I've got several drawings that I've made for the Job Johnson project. Um, That are all tacked to the walls, as well as uh, lots of wood laying all over the floor for the frames, as well as some old uh, wooden crates and boxes for some sculptural pieces for that project is laying out. Um, and, uh, I, I go down there and I sort of bounce back and forth between working on the drawings, taking measurements for the frames and so forth. And then I'll take the frames over to, uh, and use the wood shop at the college at Lycoming college that I work at and, uh, make the frames over there in the wood shop as well as, um, uh, and then I can also use the printmaking studio to make prints when I work. Um, so that's one aspect that I do.
1: Very cool. Again, I I think there's something really interesting about that um, kind of being able to kind of jump between all these different bodies of work because it, it seems like then maybe you're not as invested. But I don't know why. I imagine there's there's so much – because you make so many images. I, I have a feeling that you're kind of pretty. I don't want to say carefree, but you know what I mean. Like there's a level of like not wanting to mess something up. But it seems to me like when you're making so much stuff, um, that's part of the part of the game. I guess you know, like you just got to adapt.
0: I try to stick to I I do try to stick to those projects though, like keep it in a linear format. I, I get I get ideas all the time, like, you know, and sometimes I get out this idea and I'll be like, Wow, it'd be great to like branch off in this direction and do this kind of stuff, but I, I really need to hold back on that a lot of times because I I but I, I at, at times I do feel overwhelmed with all the different types of projects that I have going. But um the only time that I feel the freedom from making all this work uh, the, the, where it all comes together is when I can actually see it together in one space. Uh, then it makes sense. It, it makes sense more to the audience, I suppose that it does work together uh, once you see it together. Uh, but to me, it, it, it always feels disjointed until, until that exhibition or that show where I, when I put it together, uh, I can see how it works together. <laughs>
1: um and speaking of that again do you have any anything coming up that you'd like to kind of just uh let everybody know about
0: uh yeah yeah um i have a um an exhibition happening in new york uh, uh with the gallery that i'm uh represented by archie Lacey holmberg fine art it's in the lower east side at 139 eldridge street uh may 14th is the opening uh and uh this, the the show's uh, titles the story of job uh and basically it's uh, all of my alter egos work i'm bringing um i'm bringing the uh the woods of uh in rural culture uh to the big city basically
1: <laughs> yeah. and, and so are you gonna like stealthily be kind of at the exhibition or um how how are you gonna show up
0: <laughs> well i I'm, I'm i'm just gonna show up as myself because he he uh uh based on a story he pa- he passed away back in nineteen thirty six so um, <laughs> yeah so he can't be there to represent himself uh which i i'd imagine uh you know he wouldn't have wanted to be there anyway <laughs> um uh, but, um, it, it'll be a really interesting show. Um, I'm actually creating an installation out of it. I'm in, including, um, I want to make the space look like a, look like a barn, like you're walking into, uh, North central Pennsylvania and really have the feel for that. I may even uh, throw leaves and twigs all over the floor, uh, to give people a feel like they're in the woods. It'll, it'll, uh, so it'll, it'll create a really, it'll be something completely different from what New York's used to, I hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in a sense, yeah, and the work i i'll, I'll be quite happy even if people uh, uh don't get it if they if they see the work and they they just dismiss it as being old i I suppose then in a weird way it'll it'll justify it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so uh that'll be up for the month and uh they they had the idea to do it in the basement of the gallery, so that'll it'll, it'll certainly be an installation
1: <laughs> sure, sure, that sounds so interesting um. And again, it'll be it'll be interesting to see you know how how the work continues to change and you know um, I just really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me about it today.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, this was really nice. <laughs>
1: Thanks once again to Jeremiah for joining us, and please check out his website, jeremiahjohnsonart.com. Remember, his exhibition, The Story of Job, opens up at Archelacey Holmberg Fine Arts in New York, May 14th, so you don't want to miss it. Again, that exhibition runs from 6 to 9, and it goes through June 7th, so go ahead and check it out. Quick reminder, once again, our 2015 competition is now open to all undergraduate, graduate, and professional artists, so get your applications in. Once again, you can find out information on the Studio Break page. Our juror this year is Julia Friedman of Exchange Works, which is an organization that brings opportunities and artists together, so check that out. It's really interesting and very cool. We're very excited to have her. Once again, this year we will be selecting three artists from each of those categories to be featured on Studio Break. We'll feature their work, an interview all about their studio practice, and links to their websites. We'll also be handing out three solo exhibitions, so one artist from each of those categories will be having an exhibition in one of three spaces, the Jan Brant Gallery in Bloomington, Illinois, the Peoria Art Guild in Peoria, Illinois, or Demo Project in Springfield. So we're very excited to offer this opportunity and to work with these exciting venues once again. So once again, if you know any undergraduate, graduate, or professional artists that would make great applicants, please tell them to apply. I do want to remind you that you can listen to Studio Break in iTunes, so please subscribe to the podcast there. Once again, we always appreciate it when people leave comments and feedback. There's a lot of people with commutes from all over the world, and podcasts are a great way to get through them. So please help someone find this one. We do want to let you know that you can follow us on Facebook, so please like our page there. You can follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr, and please send your tweets to Break. And lastly, before we wrap up, I just want to thank Skylar Mail for providing all the music to Studio Break. You can check out his website, his artwork, at SkylarMail.com. If you're interested in my artwork, please check it out at DavidLinoway.com. And that's a wrap for this week. I hope everyone's studio is magical. We'll talk to you real soon.